All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. In this week's episode, we will be talking NFL Conference Championship games. As the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs both won this past weekend, they are set to face each other in Super Bowl 55 in Tampa, with the Bucs becoming the first team to ever play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. We'll talk all the action that went down on Sunday and look ahead to the big game with preview and predictions. We'll talk some other NFL news that has popped up in the past week or so with the Eagles hiring Nick Sirianni as head coach, Philip Rivers announcing his retirement from the league, Matthew Stafford demanding a trade out of Detroit, and the Steelers signing Dwayne Haskins to a reserve future contract. Finally, in honor of Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes squaring off in the Super Bowl, we will count down our favorite TV and film young and old duos in today's top five. So with that, let's get started. All right, so Brian, we are back to talk more NFL playoffs. We had the conference championship games this weekend, Bucks and Chiefs moving on. We'll talk about both of those games. Uh, we have a lot of other NFL stuff to talk about, and even our top five this week is related to what we're going to see on the uh, the field in a couple weeks. But before we get into that, I do want to take some time to, to talk about... Um, the baseball hall of fame so i'm not sure if you saw but no player was elected to the hall of fame this year i did see that and it's a joke i think i think barry bonds roger clemens and manny ramirez should all all three of those guys should be in if i if i were a voter those are the three guys that i would have voted in and i'm disappointed that all three of those guys are still not in the hall of fame so i think in all of those cases there's an obvious reason why those guys aren't in and it's because of their steroid connections. And I, I don't know. At this point, I'm just I'm kind of like giving up on the idea because uh, the one thing about the baseball Hall of Fame that the other sports don't have is there is a character clause. And if you look at this ballot this year, there's only three slam dunk guys based on their baseball stats. It's Bonds, Clemens, and Kurt Schilling. And all three of them have reasons that the character clause doesn't go with them. I, I personally would have would vote all three of those guys in, but I don't know. I I understand. I get the concept. Like those guys did steroids, and Kurt Schilling is just like a a horrible human being off the field. He's just a very opinionated guy about everything. And yeah, and it's a lot of rubs bad people opinions. the wrong way. Yeah, I mean he has a lot of like history of not even just like racism and xenophobia. He like <laughs> he said that journalists like he called for like their execution they should be hanged and these are the kind of people who are voting for him the hall of fame i think he like bankrupted rhode island out of like 75 million dollars like he has a lot of he, a lot he had of a video stuff. game 
a company that also was at a that he ran out of business as well that didn't work out for him and I mean if I were a voter I'm voting for for strictly the baseball career stuff nothing towards towards person I mean if, if it was a personality thing Ty Cobb wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame no well that's the thing is before steroids the character clause didn't really matter like there are a lot of questionable characters that have gotten in over the years of baseball I mean you talk about baseball half the game's history was before segregation ended and you know before like you know Jackie Robinson didn't make his debut till what 1947 they had already played 70 years of professional baseball at that point so like there's there's plenty of guys that have shady histories of still gotten in I don't know I think that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens careers what they did without steroids are enough to get them into the hall but at the same time and that's a reason to say, all right, why do you do steroids? Like you had this great career and um, I don't know. Um, I'm yeah, at it's the not, point. It's not, it's, it's not great decision-making by those guys, but no, no. I, I mean, I just, I, I think there are guys like, I, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I, there are guys like McGuire and Sosa where they made their careers on strictly power hitting. And I feel like for Bonds and Clemens, those guys were already great at 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 baseball yeah i mean bonds he had stole 500 bases steroids don't help you do that he's he's a guy who is arguably the greatest baseball player of all time just based on his hitting and uh he certainly has a lot of fraudulent home run numbers but yeah his numbers are his hitting stats are just ridiculous and yeah he probably wouldn't have the home run uh, all-time home run record if it weren't for steroids but i mean still when he was with the Pirates and before he was on steroids and he was all skinny, he mm-hmm. was still an amazing player. And yep. and, and that's go, that goes with Clemens as well uh, before he was juicing. Yeah, with his so, like Red Sox days. And then, Man- and then Manny, yeah, he was a clown when he was in Boston, but he's still one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. I I feel like, f- yeah, uh, obviously they're, the, the voters are not going to vote guys like that in because of the 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 steroid use but i feel like it's at a point now where it it, it you really should just just de- determine the who should be in based on their skills i don't know yeah i mean i i think if you just look at the rest of the ballot i know scott Rowland and todd helton were the next closest but still weren't all that close like it was a bad hall of fame ballot this year outside of the guys who have been on it for years that keep getting denied because of uh you know the extracurricular stuff it it makes sense to me that nobody that's, got in and i that's think another it's kind of disappointing but that's another thing i don't like about the baseball hall of fame now is that now we see not only are the obvious names are they're not getting in but now we're also seeing f- fringe guys get in like uh jeff bagwell or larry walker or, and then uh mike musina that that was a disgrace in my opinion and then harold baines was just the worst one of all of them and i feel like even the most hardcore baseball guys like us and others had no idea who he was outside of a google search yeah i I, i'll never be upset about a guy getting into the hall of fame i'll always be more upset about a guy getting held out that's Uh, a good point i agree with that as well yeah and i i think that there's reason to be upset about something this is not guys not getting in but at the same time like it's is right there in the reason if a voter doesn't want to vote for them it's it's right there it's hey they took steroids or they're a horrible human being they it's a com it's the combination of both the fringe guys getting in and the obvious uh, amazing player names not the combination of both is what makes me mad 
Yep. Uh, but they, they never had the uh, the 2020 Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So Derek Jeter and Todd Walker are going to get their chance to... Uh, yeah, Larry they'll, Walker. They'll still be, Larry Walker. Yeah, they'll still yeah, be t- on the... Todd Walker, no, great second baseman for the Red Sox, but not, <laughs> yeah. not Hall of Fame. Larry work. Walker. They'll both they'll both get their, their time still this summer. They just won't be joined by anyone from 2021. So, all right. With that, let's, uh, let's get into the NFL talk. And let's start with the NFC Championship game. Tampa Bay Buccaneers go into Lambeau Field, defeat the Green Bay Packers 31 to 26, and they are set to play in a Super Bowl in their home stadium, the first team to ever pull that off. So, Brian, let's uh let's kind of get started here. So, Tom Brady after 20 seasons with the New England Patriots, six Super Bowl wins and three more appearances, goes to Tampa year 1. And he gets back to the Super Bowl. So, just your thoughts, just everything that Brady has accomplished this season. Let's just kind of start with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm obviously thrilled by the fact that Brady was able to win the NFC Championship game with the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the losing most losing franchises in all of sports. And that's not an opinion; that's a fact. They were they haven't won a playoff game since they won the Super Bowl back in. I think it was 03. 2000, yeah, so, 2002 season. So, so 18, 18 years ago. So, for him to, I, for him to go from New England to Tampa, uh, is certainly a credit to Tom Brady for the most. Out of, out of all people, of course, he definitely deserves the most credit. But uh, I feel like it's not just Tom Brady. It, I think there's a lot of talent on that Bucks team, and we saw that this past Sunday. Uh, with the weapons that he has on offense where Mike Evans scored the first touchdown and I think Godwin was awesome I mean I know he had he's had some drops in this postseason but I thought he was I thought he balled out uh, in in the Sunday and Leonard Fournette someone who I've been very critical of he's he's arguably been their best player on offense and he had that amazing run where he juked out a couple defenders for a touchdown and and then their defense as well played awesome, especially their defensive line, where JPP and Shaq Bear combined for five sacks, and they were a huge part of uh, the reason why the Bucks were able to pull off the quote unquote. If, would you call it an upset over the Packers? They were they were they were underdogs. underdogs. I I do yeah. think it was an upset, even though they did beat them pretty good in the regular season. But it was it was certainly was not a a giant upset. Um, I think it was only like a three point spread. So I guess just kind of going back. So I I don't want to like sit here and like sound like a hater and like try to discredit Tom Brady or anything. But I do think that a lot of the stuff you said does need to be addressed because yes, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are historically one of the worst organizations in all of sports and their their winning percentage all time is worse than any other team in the National Football League. I think you give them the edge over the Lions and the Browns because they have that one Super Bowl win, but that's the only thing saving them from being right down with those two teams. That being said, this Bucks team is loaded. Like he showed up and they had a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. And yes, he was able to bring in Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski and probably Leonard Fournette. I don't know if he would have signed with Tampa had uh, Brady not been the quarterback, but outside of that, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, those guys are still there on defense. Levante David, Devin White, Indomitian Sue, Jason Pierre Paul, like those guys were all there. And 
this Bucks team has a ton of talent, and we shouldn't be looking at it like, oh, Brady came in and saved this horrible franchise. Like, this team was ready to win. If Jameis Winston was the quarterback, they would not be in the Super Bowl, but I do believe they would have been in the playoffs with all that Even talent. though you said with Brady on the team, you said before the year they wouldn't make the playoffs? I know. I was wrong about that. I did say so that you, they, So you're saying that after the in hindsight that— In, in hindsight, if, if Jame, yeah, I if James, that. If yes. Jameis were the quarterback this year with all that talent, they would have been— uh, nine and seven, ten and six team in the wild card round, and maybe- well, I said I said they would have been nine and seven and missed the playoffs before I realized like what their schedule was because once I saw that and like it came close to the season, I was like, all right, yeah, this team is going to make the playoffs. But I I had them losing in the wild card round to start the season, and you know obviously they didn't lose in the wild card round, but they were still a wild card team. But yeah, I mean, just based on everything, if you look at last year's team, yeah, they went seven and nine, but they had so many games against really great teams that they came close to winning and they just had some terrible losses and it, the team could have been so much better. And a lot of it was Jameis throwing 30 picks, but he also threw 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. So, I mean, I think, I, I think we knew that their defense had some talent and was pretty good, but we, mm. we kind of didn't real. and I'm not saying us, I mean, everyone as a whole, I feel like we didn't realize it that much because of how often Jameis threw, how, how often yeah. he turned over the ball and how many pick sixes that he he, he No, he definitely hurt their team last year, and Brady was never going to do that. So it made sense to bring in Brady and replace Jameis. And that, that's what got this team over the top. But yeah, and to say that it's only Brady, it's you're no, minimizing I, the work of a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people have been doing, and that, that's no, really and I, frustrating. No, and I agree with me. that. That's why I didn't want to come off... You, you just said you didn't want to come off as a Brady hater. I didn't want to come off as a Brady hawk because <laughs> yeah. I feel like, yes, does he deserve the most credit out of anybody? Yes, I believe that. But I think a lot of credit goes to everyone else. It's the ultimate team sport, and I th- it is. Yeah, I feel like a lot of a lot of the credit goes to the other players as well on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean the defense, particularly Todd Bowles, is the defensive coordinator because the the Bucks did not play well against Washington on in the wild card round and Taylor Heineke and they they were the reason why that game was as close as it was and then in back-to-back weeks just totally shutting down the Saints offense Drew Brees one of the worst games we've seen him play and he's had a really bad season Michael Thomas didn't have any catches Alvin Kamara didn't have a whole lot going uh they they definitely did everything they could to make sure that the Bucs won that game they got some turnovers and they put Tampa in a position to score and Tampa took advantage of that And then the same thing happened in this game where, yes, the Packers offense was able to move the ball better. Aaron Rodgers is better. I mean, he's going to win the MVP this season. He's he's playing at a higher level than Drew Brees is. And the Bucs defense definitely let Rodgers have a decent game, but they still forced him to some mistakes. They got a huge pick right at the end or end of the first half that set up that stupid touchdown by scotty miller and uh, when brady threw three straight interceptions they gave up a touchdown out the first one and then forced two three and outs after the next two so uh to me i i think that the bucks defense deserves a ton of credit for what they did because they they're the reason why the bucks offense has been so good you i think the the bucks had seven turnover seven takeaways to this point in the postseason through their first three games and tampa scored 41 points off those seven so 
from there, I mean, they're, they're giving Brady short fields and he's taking advantage of him. He's putting it in the end zone for touchdowns. Well, that, that's a credit to Brady as well defense. for taking is, advantage yes, of, of the opposing is. team's mistakes as well. I agree. And I, no, I agree. I think that it's, it's like you said, it's a team game. The offense needs to do that because, like I said, Aaron Rodgers, he only scored six points off three turnovers. Far less than what Tampa was able to do these past few weeks. But yeah, it, it's that, just that's a case, kind of the, the box defense kind of the is putting the box offense in position to succeed. That's kind of the difference between Brady and Rodgers in, in this game is that mm-hmm. Brady took advantage of the Packers' mistakes on offense while Rodgers didn't really because, yeah, like you said, the even though Brady threw those interceptions, well, first of all, the last interception was really just, a, you, you really just look at it as a mediocre punt because it was third and two and... Uh, there was a oh, corner yeah, blitz, the, and Brady was, just had to throw it up in the air. So I don't yeah, even really count. It was, it but was the a first ugly. The pass, first but. one uh, was definitely a mistake that got the Packers back in it, and the second mm-hmm. one was, yeah, maybe Mike Evans should have made it was a, a high better pass. attempt at it, but it was, it was too it was too high. Yeah. Brady had too much velocity on that throw, so it's, I put that more on Brady. But I mean, yeah, Rodgers didn't, and their offense didn't really capitalize on Tampa's mistakes, and I think. That's the biggest difference between why the Bucks won and the Packers lost. Yeah, and I, I mean that that was certainly a big thing as Rodgers had those opportunities. Brady threw three picks, and uh, they only scored one touchdown off those three. Uh, at the same time, you know we the Bucks defense was phenomenal. The Packers defense had a, a rough showing, particularly Kevin King. He yeah, Kevin King the, was he was on the bad Kevin end King of was multiple so touchdowns. He had, that. That Scotty Miller touchdown right before the half, that that was the game. Like, at that point, it was like, okay, so Tampa already gets a pick off Aaron Rodgers. They slow down a drive, and it looks like they're not going to make anything of it. They're getting ready to punt. They go for it on fourth down, pick it up. But regardless, they're at the 39-yard line. There's eight seconds to go. If this, if, if nothing else happens here, the Bucs are taking a 57-yard field goal in 25-degree weather or whatever it was. And I don't know how... Mike Pettin and Kevin King or whoever is, allowed that touchdown to happen. Like that is the the most ridiculous touchdown I've ever seen scored in a conference and, championship game. And that's why I brought up Mike Pettin last week is that he's not exactly one of these sharp head coaches. It should, that play right there just showed you how bad the coaching is in the NFL. I mean, on that play, the Sky Miller touchdown. If you look at the replay, six there they bring in six guys to, uh, to blitz Brady, and they only have five other guys back. They should be playing prevent defense on, on a play like that and yeah i mean in that have, field pay position more attention to the receivers on that play like then. i get you're trying to knock them out of field goal range it's not even like they're really in field goal range to that point like it, it makes no sense like the touchdown is absolutely a thing you shouldn't be playing for there if you let them pick up a few yards and get a field goal before the half that's one thing you're down seven at the half would be down 11 it, it was just a, a horrible yeah it's a momentum killer yeah and then, absolutely and, i mean if you were to uh, ask me whether the Bucks won or the Packers lost. Which one is it more of? I, I mean, I think it's a combination of both, but mm-hmm. I think the Packers' mistakes stick out a lot more than the the Bucks the Bucks' uh, success because not only was a Sky Miller touchdown really bad for the Packers, but they also had some other key mistakes as well. And uh, in, in early in the second quarter, it was fourteen to seven Tampa, and the Packers at the goal line and they go to Devontae, their their goal line threat, basically, since they always throw at the one yard line, and he drops the pass, and they end up getting a, end up getting a field goal out of it, which kind of hurt them later in the game, of course. And then, 
And then after, and then the second half, Aaron Jones had that horrible fumble. Yes, he did get injured on that play, but he still got a hold. He fumbled the ball. before that, the injury. Yeah, like and this. that and that and that led to the great touchdown, which made it, made it, it twenty-eight to ten. It felt like it yeah. was over at that point. The fact that the Packers were still able to get in just kind of goes to show you how bad that those two touchdowns were, you know, right before and after halftime. Yeah, and 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 yeah, they just made mistake after mistake, and then. And then the obvious ones at the end where, I mean, what do you, what did you the think of goal? that? Wait, sorry, say Let's that again. Let's start. Wait, what, what are you going to ask? Well, what? I was going to ask you what, I, I'm sure everyone, I'm sure you have the same opinion as everyone else, including myself, but what did you think of the the decision to go for the field goal at the I, end? I think that was an awful decision. Yeah. And I, I get analytics kind of say like, okay, maybe it wasn't that terrible, but it's... 31 to 23. You you need a touchdown. You need a two-point conversion. You have fourth and goal at the eight-yard line and kicking a field goal. You're giving the ball back to Tom Brady and the Bucs offense. It, like, was, why? It, was, it was an absurd decision. And Matt LaFleur talked about it after the game. And he, he said his thought process was, well, we have the two-minute warning and we have three timeouts. So we mm-hmm. technically have four. And luckily for them, Jaden Mickens didn't, decided to uh, uh, slide and yeah oh that was give them and give them that extra timeout but Mm -hmm. what (laughs) they didn't kick it in all the way into the end zone Mason Crosby gave Jaden Mickens a chance to (laughs) have it uh, go to the two-minute warning and not have that fourth timeout so uh, it it, it was just an all-around bad decision and 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 it cost them for sure but another thing I want to mention about that sequence uh I think one of the reasons why Matt LaFleur went for the field goal was that before the, before the the field goal the when when the Packers got to first and goal like they didn't it couldn't get anything out of those few plays and I I feel like Rodgers is kind of a scapegoat because of the bad decision to go for the field goal when I think he deserves a little bit more blame for that sequence. I mean, if you look on the replay on third down, I think he clearly I think it's clear as day that he could have, I don't want to say get a touchdown, scramble for a touchdown, but I think he could have scrambled for at least a few yards, a few, a few yards and make he it fourth. He would have at and, least gotten like the two, three. Yeah. Yard maybe line. get to the two or three yard line. And yeah. then we're, you don't have to go for the field goal. You could, you can get a, a two or th- three yard play on fourth and goal and, mm-hmm. and have an easier shot on, at, at, into the end zone. And I, I, I think, I, I think Rogers isn't getting enough blame for, for that part of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's more even LaFleur going back because... to the first half, like you said, when they had first and goal, at, I think, you know, seven or eight yard line, about the same spot, and ended up kicking a field goal there as well. Like, those are just times where the Packers get down to the goal line, you're, like, ready for Devontae and they, Adams. And, and he just has to force and... it into double coverage to yeah. Adams every single time. And I mm-hmm. just, I, I, I know Adams is by far their best option on offense, but I think you still should try to get some chunk yards from maybe not Aaron Jones because the Tampa defensive line is just gross and they they just are amazing at stopping the run and even stopping uh, screen passes as well very effectively. But I feel like you should still try to get Lazard or Valdez Scanling or Tanyan uh, a little bit more involved in in goal-line situations. I know Tanyan had that touchdown, uh, that short touchdown later in the game and Valdez Scanling had, is obviously a great deep threat, but I, (laughs) I feel like, Rodgers forces it way too much to Adams when they get to the goal line and I and I I think I think that cost them. That's part of the reason why they lost. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that's a fair way to look at it. Um, in terms of kicking the field goal there, any argument as to why they should have kicked the field goal, you can use the same thing as to why they should have gone for it and not worried about turning the ball over by not getting it. And uh, I think that that sequence is part of the reason why Aaron Rodgers was not in the, the best of moods in his postgame press conference and why he left a lot of doubt about his future. Because, I mean, just going into the season, the team drafted Jordan Love with their first round pick. They used their second round pick on a third string running back. The, the team didn't do what they could to help Rodgers in the present. They were more focused on the future. And then to have his final time on the field being taken off on a fourth down play when his team is down by eight to kick a field goal, uh, I can understand why he would kind of be questioning like, all right, do I really want to keep doing this for this team? Do I really want to keep trying to make this stuff with Matt LaFleur work? So I guess what is your what is your impression just based on like some of the comments and things that have been thrown around based on what Rogers said on Sunday. And then in the, in the past couple of days, I mean, I feel like it'd be so easy to say that the Packers should just bring in Aaron Rodgers back because he's an MVP. Of course, he definitely deserves to win MVP this year. And Jordan love isn't ready. I mean, he didn't Jordan love didn't even dress for these games. No, he, he was he, healthy and active. Yeah. Oh, healthy and active for just all these games. So I, I think that's clearly a sign that he's not ready to take over the starting position. So from that standpoint, it'd be easy to say, yeah, we should just bring Aaron Rodgers back. But I don't know. Like, what if what if Aaron Rodgers continues to have that like mopey attitude and wanting a new contract? And uh, I don't know. Like, ob- obviously, for now, it sounds it seems like a great idea just to bring him back and not trying to find that bridge guy, but. I- I mean, at the same time, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I kind of want to hear more of your your thoughts on it uh, because it's, it's. I think it's a harder situation than people realize. So I think the Packers absolutely should want to bring him back. I mean, the guy was the MVP this year. He took you to the NFC Championship game for the second year in a row. There's no reason that the Packers should want to move on from him. Uh, their CEO, CEO, basically said as much. Uh, to me, the only reason why Rodgers wouldn't be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers next season, or I guess you know in yeah, well, really just focusing on 2021 would be because he asks out. He decides he doesn't want to keep doing this with this team. He doesn't that's believe when, that they're going to help him. I think that's the only way it happens. That's, that's, part, that's part of the reason why I think it's a lot harder than people realize because Rodgers is certainly going to be unhappy. And he certainly wants a, a, a better contract given the, given the why, QB market. Why right do you now. say that? Because he is, he's under contract for three more seasons. And yeah, but he's set he, to make $37 his, million dollars this year. I I think yeah, but he was also has he like talked about wanting a bigger contract. I think he just... I think he wants I I think that's part of it. I think he wants a new contract and given so how I don't much, think he's getting a new contract how QB how QB centric their offense is and how how much of their offense is revolved around his success and that's just that's just my guess. I don't I don't I can't say that for a fact. But yeah, I, I mean I I, I, don't I, know, I think that's he, part of it. He was a highest paid quarterback when he signed that deal. I think he knows how this league works and how guys are constantly outpacing each other when it comes to highest paid quarterback. Um I mean, and regardless, I think part though, of it uh, part of it is like, also the coaching decisions. Yeah, with, I think that's what LeFleur it comes down to. And having McCarthy as well who was not that great and I mean, even the general maybe manager even, decision. Maybe like even the, the weapons around yeah. him. I mean, after after Adams and Aaron Jones, it is a drop off. I mean, because I, I feel like Rodgers has made Lazard, Valdez, Scaling, and Tanyan 
better players rather yes. than the other way around. Because I, I mean, I let's face it, that. they they're not exactly known commodities until Rogers uh, ma- made them successful. Yeah, I mean, I I so to me, I guess it kind of brings back memories to the end of the 2016 season when Ben Roethlisberger. No, oh. with Ben Roethlisberger oh, okay. when he when he was having doubts about his future, which you know, not necessarily coincidentally, was following a tough conference championship game loss to Tom Brady. That Steelers team felt really good going into that game. I think they'd won eight straight going back to the regular season, actually nine in a row, and they got killed. And Ben Roethlisberger was not on great terms with Todd Haley. They did not get along very well. He just had Le'Veon Bell get injured, didn't even play in the second half, and it was just a bad way to end the season. And I get when you're you just go through that you question do I really want to keep trying to do this and that's kind of where I see it with Aaron Rodgers where he's like uncertain about things it's a really bad loss it leaves a really terrible taste in your mouth you start thinking all right what do I have to do to prevent this from ever happening again and I think the easy answer is be like well I don't know my future is uncertain I don't know what's going to happen like maybe I'll be somewhere else whatever maybe I'll retire but um, ultimately I think it's just going to be Something that's blown up doesn't turn into anything, and he's going I, I, to continue to be I, the quarterback. I just think with the Packers, it's the same thing every year, where they're a good team, very good team, maybe, and even this year, a great team, and they, they make it to the divisional round or NFC Championship game, and then they end up losing to either a better team or a, or they make enough mistakes to, to cost them a win or a chance at a Super Bowl, and it's just, <laughs> I don't know if... I, and the reason why I brought up Tom Brady and when you actually said Ben Roethlisberger is because I remember in 2016 or 2017. After losing to the Eagles in the Super Bowl? No, so before, so after the year, well, that same year, uh, they had to make a decision on Brady or Garoppolo. Oh, yeah, and, like during that year, and, yeah. And Belichick was forced to, basically forced by ownership to get rid of Garoppolo. And that was the year when Brady and Belichick had all this, there are all, the, all these reports of the, the tension mm-hmm. between them. Yep. And and then it even showed later in the year when yeah, they made the Super Bowl but then they lost to the Eagles and a lot of that had to do with uh I think I think the decision making of Belichick and 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 his ego getting in the way especially with deciding to bench Malcolm Butler and there was a lot of tension from that point on and even into next season. And I know they won the Super Bowl the next mm-hmm. season but the te- the tension between the two of them was obvious and then it led it even into the next season to the point where Tom Brady's now in Tampa. <laughs> so yeah. I, no, I, I think I, there's, I think something similar can happen with Rogers and having a riff between him and uh, the, the front office and the coaching staff and seeing that how, how great of a year he had and, and kind of, kind of end up being for nothing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I understand that as well. Like there is, there's definitely kind of precedent for this. Um, just in in a lot of different aspects so I guess somewhat on the topic you know I I think that we both believe Aaron Rodgers will still be the quarterback for the Packers in 2021 but uh, I do kind of want to talk about possibilities of oh what if he's not there just because I don't know if we're going to get another chance to do that Um, so let's just throw this out there I think I know what your answer is but I am kind of curious you know what you have to say behind it um what are your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers being the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots in 2001 2021 
Oh, 2001. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if it was 2001, they'd have the greatest quarterback depth chart ever. Aaron Rodgers yeah. <laughs> would be possibly be the backup. Wow, that would be great. But no, uh, 2021. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, if it were to happen, that'd be that'd be amazing. But at the same time, I feel like I feel like Belichick and Rodgers are just two guys that I don't know if they would totally mesh. Yeah, of course, Rodgers would make the Patriots automatically better and possibly. AFC East champs again and uh but but they're also two guys that are just very they're not they're both mopey guys and I don't know how well they would get along or the chemistry between the two of them how how it would work in in terms of winning a Super Bowl and especially with I mean in New England the weapons would be even worse in yeah oh New England than in Green Bay it's not like he's getting better weapons yeah well I I think that that's like an argument that has to be or like that has to be a talking point of this argument basically the uh the the overwhelming take that I saw from Patriots fans is uh get over your love for Brady like Rodgers is an elite all-time great quarterback we should be very happy to bring him in but you need to bring in weapons weapons with him because Aaron Rodgers with what he has it's is less than we'd have in Green Bay. So I, I agree that um there there needs to be a it's, lot more. It, it's not it's not gonna happen. Yeah, would it be great? Yeah, sure, but it's uh, it's not gonna happen. I mean I I I think he's gonna stay in Green Bay, but if I had to pick if let's say he does get traded, mm-hmm. if I had to pick a team, I would say I would say San Fran, just because yeah. that's his that's his hometown, or that's the team he wa- originally wanted to play for when he was a lot younger. Just and, yeah, righting the wrongs of the 2004 yeah. draft when they passed up on him for Alex yeah. Smith. Exactly, and so there's a, definitely a narrative towards that pick, and I also feel like San Fran has. I feel like they're just too conservative conservative of an offense with Garoppolo. I just don't think they fully trust him, and I. I don't think they want Garoppolo anymore. To be honest, I think they want to they find the next him guy. No whether money. that's Watt, whether that's Watson or Rogers or or Cousins or whomever, I I, I don't yeah. I don't think they want Garoppolo anymore. They they certainly are a team that's going to be linked to um, upgrading at the quarterback position. Uh, another team that I'd want to throw out there that I, I think that has a possibility, um, it, although I don't know how it would work. So NBA style trade, this can happen without issue i don't know in the nfl how it works when it comes to like guaranteed money and signing bonuses and dead cap space and everything but uh, a trade that i would like to see happen or i think would be very interesting with aaron Rodgers would be aaron Rodgers to the rams for jared goff and a boatload of draft picks uh aaron Rodgers has a home in southern california la makes a ton of sense uh instead of being with matt lafleur he goes to sean McVay, who uh, i think is even more of an offensive genius and SoFi Stadium is hosting the Super Bowl next year, so Aaron Rodgers will have a chance to do what Tom Brady did this year and play a, a Super Bowl in his home stadium. On the flip side, Jared Goff would get to reunite with Matt LaFleur, who was the offensive coordinator in 2017, his first year when he broke out with the Rams. So maybe there's a chance he could kind of revitalize his career there. Regardless, they'd be getting a ton of draft picks to be able to bring in more talent to that team to replace the drop off from Rogers to Goff. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, realistically, I, I like, I like, like that choice. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I, I, think I don't it would think, be a fun I don't trade think this either year. of these things are going to happen. No, I don't I just, think so but at all. If, if he were to get traded, I could see yep. that scenario as well. Yeah. California teams that, that feel like a, a scenario for sure. Um, so Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers advancing to the Super Bowl. They'll be taking on 
Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs who defeat the Buffalo Bills 38-24 to in the AFC Championship game. Now, this game went basically how I expected the Chiefs-Browns game to go last week. If you remember, I said Cleveland would jump out 10-0 and then Kansas City would roll them from there. Basically, what happened in this one, Buffalo goes up 9-0, Kansas City goes on a 38 to 6 run buffalo scores another touchdown and field goal to make it a little closer but 38 24 kansas city in control basically the entire game certainly the final three quarters so is this the best performance by the chiefs to this point in the season in your opinion uh if i had to pick yeah i guess i would say yes just given the stakes and just also the fact that Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were both on fire in this game. I, I, I mean, I don't know if that's a credit to the Chiefs or or a knock on the Bills for not trying to at least take out one of those guys, but the fact that both of them were as involved as they were, and and when you factor in Mahomes' uh, in, injuries prior to this game where he had that concussion and he also has turf toe, and he, they, they just made it look so easy, which is why mm-hmm. I... As someone that's invested in Tom Brady's success with the Bucks, uh, and they have to face Kansas City in the Super Bowl, and we saw what they did in Week 12, I'm I'm definitely nervous because I feel like KC, as great as they are, they haven't been really this dominant until maybe now. I mean, uh, even though they went 14 and two this year, I basically most. Not all their wins, but a lot of their wins have come in one possession games. And this is their first so, time covering the spread since like week eight or something. Yeah, which so. is just absurd, uh, given how good they are. And yeah, so I feel like they haven't been super dominant up until this point, which which definitely worries me. And and then you also get got Clyde Edwards Hilaire back, who yeah, he wasn't very effective, but uh, Daryl Williams has been yeah. very serviceable in in, in his replace. Uh, uh, replacement of him and yeah I, their offense is just rolling and I'm, I'm worried about that <laughs> yeah the, the Chiefs this was by all accounts their best game of the season at least offensively before this the only time they scored more than 38 points they scored 43 against the Broncos and that included a special teams touchdown and a pick six so uh, this is the best game for their offense just firing on all cylinders in this one like you said Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey huge games for both of them um, Tyreek Hill at nine catches for 172 yards. Kelsey 13 for 118 and two touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes playing with turf toe, which is, by according to some people, would say even like scarier and more dangerous than a concussion. Like this is something that really has uh, uh, you know limited players in in the past and could require surgery. And uh, I think it's it's very impressive that the the Chiefs were able to play this well in spite of that. And before the uh, the postseason started, we had asked who was the biggest threat to the Chiefs. So you and Ben both said the Bills. I said the Steelers because I didn't think that the Bills could outscore the Chiefs, which held true. But ultimately, the idea was the, the, no one's going to beat the Chiefs. The, the Chiefs are going to ult- beat themselves. Yeah, I was just, that that's a very good point because ultimately, I'm, I think I think Buffalo was the second best team in the AFC, and I think that was proven given their record and the fact that they made the AFC Championship game. But uh, I think. Kansas City is just that much better than anyone in the AFC, and they're just a powerhouse right now. And yeah, and they they certainly did not beat themselves. They they did everything that they needed. They did to. a little bit they, early in the game yeah, with they, McCall Hardman yeah. fumbling that punt, and and he that's, went to the sideline. Guy, I know down on himself, but then uh, immediately afterwards they get him involved. Fifty yard on, run. 
Yeah, he has that huge run and then that uh-huh. touchdown and it, that that mistake was just wiped away immediately. Yeah, he uh he definitely made up for that. And I mean, if that's if Michael Hardman is the one guy making a mistake, then I think that the Chiefs are in good shape. It's when it's a guy like Mahomes, Kelsey or Hill or and, you know, and even then, one of their running backs. So And then they also potentially could get Watkins uh back. Yeah, it sounds like Sammy Watkins and Le'Veon Bell will both be playing in the uh the the Super Bowl for them. Um, they did lose Eric Fisher, their starting left tackle. I think that could be a big loss. Uh, the Packers were without David Bakhtiari, and the Bucks pass rush definitely was able to uh, to force Aaron Rodgers into some tough situations. They got pressure on him. So, uh, But the Chiefs have also been playing down offensive linemen for most of the season. I don't know if that's as huge of a deal, and we know that Patrick Mahomes is mobile. He can do stuff with his feet. He can get outside the pocket and make well, plays. It, so. Well, Eric, Eric Fisher was their number one overall pick, and they're starting with tackle. In and 2013. So wait, say that again. He was the number one overall pick in 2013. Yeah, but still, it's yeah, it's still it's still a big. It took loss. him a while. It, it, he was looking kind of like a bust for a while, but he's uh, he's gone to multiple Pro Bowls since then. He, he's figured right. it out. It's definitely a big loss for them. So, um, in terms of the Bills looking ahead, so they go 13 and three this season. First time winning the AFC East in what like 25 years. Uh, back to 1995 or the, the, the last time they won a playoff game they have not won the AFCs before this since um you know Tom Brady entered the division so uh I guess looking ahead do you think that the Bills are just going to continue to take a leap forward that it's only a matter of time before they get to the Super Bowl or does this kind of feel like okay maybe this was their best chance and we're going to kind of start to see some some regression maybe some other teams in their division will be able to catch up to them and make it harder Honestly I have I have no idea because I think Josh Allen he like really really improved this year but to like he he made an insane jump from year 2 to year 3 and I I wonder how sustainable that is, and I know he's t- uh, I, he's brought this up that one of the reasons I've he's improved this year as much as he has. I mean, of course, he's improved his quarterback mechanics and his presence in the pocket and everything else, but uh, and his accuracy. But I think part of the reason why he also succeeded this year was because of the lack of fans in the stands. And he really? talked about how he's been really pumped up for a lot. of like he's pumped himself too much for yeah. for games, and there were fans in the stands for Kansas against Kansas City, uh-huh. and it was an AFC Championship game, a game away from the Super Bowl, and I I I think I think that factors in for some players, and I think that could factor in for Josh Allen. I mean, I'm, I still think he'll be really good. I think he's improved a lot as a thrower, and but we we did see some Josh Allen type of mistakes like like year one year two kind of mistakes where he's held on he held on the ball for too long at times and he had he he had some he had he had a lot of mistakes in this game and I I don't think he could he regress yes but I don't think he'll regress to throwing 50 percent completion percentage if that makes sense like maybe Uh, they dip down a little bit but I still expect them to be uh favorites for the AFC East and and maybe again be a two or three seed or be in the mix but I don't know how much of a jump they can make from where they are now to uh, competing with Kansas City into well into the fourth quarter in AFC championship game that I'm not I'm not sure how big of a jump they can make from this year to next year that is uh, an interesting thought about Josh Allen and fans because 
there, uh, there of course were no fans at any Bills game until the playoffs this season. And in the playoffs, the Bills did not play all that great. Like we saw the offense not play at the same level they were playing at the end of the regular season. And you would think for most players, not having fans kind of takes away from things. But I, I don't know. Maybe if he's just pumping himself I think for too his much, case, it's just it, too it much helped. in his head. Like, yeah, I think it helped for his. I don't, but I don't want to say it's the sole reason why he mm-hmm. was good this year. No, I mean, I, I, think I, there, I, I get I the think concept there, though. I think there are p- people out like Josh Allen haters out there saying that oh he he was great this year because of that or because they had Diggs and Beasley and mm-hmm. and and it wasn't because of him. Like, no, I think he's in. in improved himself a lot as a passer and the other stuff definitely helps though uh now that he has actual receivers to throw to as well but i don't i don't know where i don't know what the case is for the bills if they're gonna make i don't i don't see him going back to back to earth in terms of like what they were when tom brady was in the division where they're this crap team but i I don't know if they can make that jump towards beating Kansas City or not. That's that's what would worry me if I were a Bills fan. See, I don't think they're going to win 13 games next year. I think the AFC East is going to be tougher before it gets easier. I think that the Dolphins are going to continue to make a leap forward. I have to think that Bill Belichick is going to do something with all the cap yeah, space. Yeah, I, to be able I to think with all the team. cap space that the, that the Patriots have and the fact that Brady uh, has had as much success as – He's had this year and going to a Super Bowl. I'm sure that's. I've talked about this several times with you and Ben that I I think that is going to really motivate Belichick this offseason to really make much better roster decisions and have him compete for a playoff spot again. And and then also the Jets, like yeah, they're a joke, but they also have the second overall pick. Yeah, they have they an can, opportunity to. Uh, they have know, an opportunity to inject some either, talent into the roster right away. Yeah, they could potentially if, trade for Deshaun Watson. So. Right, whether that's trading for, like you said, Watson, or or replacing Darnold with with Fields, or getting a, a receiver like Devontae Smith or whomever, whoever, whatever it is, they're gonna they're gonna be a little bit better. Yeah, they might still suck and be four and twelve or five and eleven next year, but they're gonna be better than what they were last season. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, won't, I see. I won't I see say the, the Bills' window is closed, but it does feel like maybe this could kind of go like the Ravens last year when they were so dominant, and then they they kind of take a little bit of a step back, and some other teams in the division start to get better, and then now it's kind of like, all right, where do they even stand with the rest of the league? So um, I could certainly see that being the, the case of the Bills. Um, but, hey, they have a ton of talent on the roster, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if they continue to be just as good next season. So... All right, uh, real quickly, let's uh, let's talk Super Bowl Fifty Five. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. So, uh, you know, obviously to this point, like Tom Brady, there's there's not much of an argument about him not being the greatest of all time, just based on his six Super Bowl victories and now leading a second franchise in just one season to the Super Bowl. Uh, do you agree with me in that if anyone is going to come close and like? challenge him the guy would be Patrick Mahomes yeah I agree with that absolutely I, I think I think he's the only guy that could challenge him uh to this point in terms of having as much success as Brady especially if he wins especially if Mahomes and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl uh, I th- yeah beating him head to head like I, I mean it, it would obviously take I, I th- way more than that but he he definitely set himself up to be able to potentially catch him at some point and, down and, the road and the fact that the Chiefs they look like they're <laughs> gonna be as 
dominant as they are for a long time with mm-hmm. with Mahomes. Yeah, maybe Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey won't be there for all the years that Mahomes is in the league exactly, but I, I they have the Chiefs have the guy and they have the guy to compete for uh, for the next 10, 15, 20 years or whatever it is exactly. Uh, just just like Brady with the Patriots. Yeah, they don't have the exact same skill sets, but I can see the Chiefs having possibly similar success to the Patriots maybe not that much but it's hard to give it given how given how bad I don't want to say bad the AFC is but given how much better they are compared to the rest of the AFC they're going to be competing in at least AFC several AFC championships and maybe possibly several Super Bowls as well so I guess given all that who do you believe is under more pressure in this game Brady or Mahomes this is going to, I mean, if I, honestly, I this is going to sound stupid, but I don't think either of them are under that much pressure. I mean, yeah, they want, obviously, of course, they want to win a Super Bowl, but I mean, I feel like they're both, the positions that they're in, they're both established where Mahomes, is, he's going to be competing in Super Bowls for a long time. And Brady, I think he's established the fact that, I don't want to say the Brady-Belichick thing is over, but... In terms of like who want, who's the more important guy, but I think Brady's currently kicking his ass right now to this yeah. point. In terms of no, who's, I, I who's been that, the more successful the guy, win it. or win or lose, I, I I feel like that question has been answered for this. Yeah, season. I mean, just Maybe getting Bel- to the Super Bowl, is, but is big enough. If I if I had to pick, I'll go Brady just because I think have getting that seventh Super Bowl, uh, is just. It's just poor, but like I, I don't think either of them have that much to worry about. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that concept. I, I don't think either of them should feel like they're under a ton of pressure because Brady has already accomplished so much, and it feels like Mahomes is going to accomplish a lot. Uh, for that reason, though, I do think Mahomes is under a little more pressure because a lot of him is just potential, and it's not just what he has accomplished. All that being said, I feel like I. I mean, I obviously there's no way of knowing this, but I feel like Brady would be the one who feels under more pressure. Like he's the one who is gonna, you know, feel like this is extra important that he wins this compared to Mahomes, just because of the kind of competitor he is and like someone who, you know, the way he approaches the game. Uh, not to say that I don't think Mahomes is a great competitor. I know that Mahomes is gonna come out and he's gonna try to, you know, prove that he can beat the goat in this game. That he he's he is not just the uh, the future of the NFL, but he's the present. Uh, but I, I can kind of see this one where both these guys, maybe they're not really under a lot of pressure, but they're both going to kind of convince themselves that they are. So um, in terms of uh, what, what do you think is uh, you, the biggest matchup in this game that you're looking forward to? You know, outside of just the, the simple Brady versus Mahomes. Right. Besides Brady versus Mahomes. Uh, I'm looking forward to s- seeing what Tampa has for Tyreek Hill in this game because Tyreek Hill went for... 200 plus receiving yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter and then went on to have 269 receiving yards and three touchdowns with a dozen or so catches and I'd like to think that they will watch tape of of that performance and think hey maybe we should put a little bit more focus on that guy I'd like to think they won't just put Carlton Davis into single coverage and that they will try to figure out figure out a way to uh, put give him safety help over the top or double coverage or whatever it is. I'm interested to see what they do with Tyree Kill, just given how 
just freakishly fast he is and and how much he killed them in their first matchup and I I don't I don't want to say I like Terry Kill because he's probably a bad guy but he is so fun to watch mm-hmm. given how fast he is and I like so I'll admit there's a, a sort of a bias towards that but so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what Tampa has in store for that matchup yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'm kind of along the same lines, you know, maybe more generically just Todd Bowles versus Eric Bieniemy, But, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is what is the, the Bucks defense going to do to correct themselves after the last performance? Because the Chiefs went up 17 to nothing, and the offense slowed down the last three quarters. So, uh, and then, we and saw Tampa came up, they came back. They, they didn't win, of course, but no, they actually they, they came made back in the game. game. They only lost yeah. by three. Mm-hmm. And even though it looked like an ass-kicking, the Tampa actually came back in that game. People probably forget. Yeah, so I'm interested to see what the Bucs defense can do because the Chiefs have two guys. It's not like the Saints where it's Michael Thomas and then the, you know, obviously Alvin Kamara, but in terms of number, like top receivers, it's Michael Thomas and then the Packers is Devontae Adams. The Chiefs have both Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do to try to stop those guys. So let one of them have a great game and try to shut down the other one. Uh, I'm guessing that the Bucks are going to try to take a playbook out of the Patriots defense, uh, you know, because Bill Belichick, as as bad as uh, the season was for him, he definitely did uh, one of the better jobs of anybody in the league in terms of slowing down Patrick Mahomes and they played back in week four. So my guess is that they're going to try to look toward that game, maybe look toward the Raiders game, a game where Mahomes didn't play all that great, even though the Chiefs still scored 32 points. Um, I think at the, the those two games earlier in the season, uh, that's that's what the Bucs should be looking at and see if they can find anything in terms of you know being able to stop that, that Chiefs offense. I, I, yeah, I can agree with that just because I think – so Mahomes has faced the Patriots, I think, four times now four time. in his career. And yeah. I, I don't want. To, if you look at the the game as a whole, yeah, Mahomes definitely has responded in some of those games, and he's had some big second halves versus the Patriots. But mm-hmm. I think first halves have not been. But good. I think yeah, I think there have been times where Mahomes has not ha- hasn't gotten hasn't gotten going versus the Patriots in some of their match. Like yeah, like you said in Week Four. I mean yeah, they won by a, by a decent margin. It was twenty six to ten, but they also had a pick six. That right. Put yeah. The game so away. I don't. But yeah, their offense wasn't clicking the entire time but so i yeah i could see tampa trying to find a way to do what the patriots have done versus Mahomes. because i feel like if i had to guess i don't know this exactly but if i had to guess that's probably the team that's played the the best defense uh, mm-hmm. against Mahomes throughout his career i'm just guessing though i don't know yeah i don't know who else it even would be so uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's funny though because like the the Patriots defense, like you said, they they kind of stop Mahomes in the first half, and then he gets going in the second half. It's the exact opposite of what happened when the the Chiefs played the Bucks in the regular season. So, uh, you know, if the Chiefs can be stopped in the first half, maybe it'll be too late for them to get anything going in the second half. So, uh, all right, I guess let's get into our predictions for this one. I'll let you get started. All right. So, and do do you want me to give me give you the margin as well yeah just you know whatever i mean if you want to give an actual yeah. final score go for it uh so last game it was 27 24 chiefs yeah uh i will go with the exact same result i'll say 27 24 chiefs uh part of the reason why i'm picking the chiefs is one i'm take committed given that i said the chiefs make the super bowl from the start now obviously the opponent i got was way off but 
I picked the Chiefs at least. Uh, two, uh, I'm picking them just for karma. So it could be like the Bucks and the Packers, where I pick the Packers just to win by a little. But I end up talking about why I think the Bucks will, could could win, and <laughs> that's what happened. So part of it's taken committed part of it's because of karma but it's also because i think they're the best team in the nfl and i think it's impossible to to limit both tyree kill and travis kelsey like you said i mean every with the saints with thomas and the packers have adams so it's easy to take out the the best option on offense but i mean the chiefs have two very very elite op- options in offense and i think it's going to be really tough for them to uh, limit both those guys and 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 yeah i think i think their offense is really really clicking, and not that the Bucks aren't right now, because I think ever since they upset the Saints, they've been they've been sh- well, they've had plenty of success throughout the past couple months, but they haven't had great competition up up until the Saints game, and I, I, so I think they're rolling right now. But I think the Chiefs, when they're playing at their best, b- between the two of them, if they're both playing at their best, I think KC's just a little bit better uh, than the Bucks. So. I'll go KC twenty seven, Bucks twenty four. So if I was totally unbiased, I would pick the Chiefs by a touchdown or more. I think that the Chiefs offensively are better than the Bucks offensively, and uh, while I think that the Bucks are a better defense, I I don't think that they can stop Patrick Mahomes. I think that the Chiefs defense is capable of forcing Tom Brady into mistakes, and uh, ultimately, if it comes down to a shootout. Give me Patrick Mahomes over any other quarterback. But the biased person in me has kind of seen this before. I've seen Tom Brady pull out wins even when I don't necessarily think that they should. This kind of reminds me of that Seahawks Super Bowl, Super Bowl 49, when Seattle was the defending champs. And Seattle, you know, these felt like fairly similar teams. Seattle had a great defense. They had a really good young quarterback in Russell Wilson. And they had a big lead at 10 points, which was uh, the largest ever comeback at least for a couple of years in Super Bowl history and uh, New England was able to come back and win that one late so um, I'm fully prepared for something similar like that to happen in this one and uh, I'm gonna take the Bucks to win this one 28 to 24 I can so I don't blame you like I mean part of the reason why I don't want to take the Bucks is, is because it'd be it would be 100% biased and I would just say yeah go Bucks go fire the cannons blah 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 and just yeah, and the, you're yeah, picking the, goat, the, the goat's gonna win jinx, as a I, jinx. I, I, this is my countering that, your jinx that's, here. Yeah, <laughs> so we're basically both just trying to jinx yeah. each other. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> yeah, we're hedging the Chiefs, ourselves. But I'm, I want to, I want to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I want to be wrong and, and, as well. And just, and, just, so. uh, and just have karma go the other way. That's that's part. I'll admit that is part yeah. of the reason why I'm picking the Chiefs. Unfortunately, <laughs> one of us will be right. So. <laughs> We'll see who I, that is. I, I love that though. We both we both are picking one team when we are rooting for yep. the other one. We're just doing it for doing it for karma. Why not? Right? Yeah, exactly. So. I, agree. I totally agree with that. All right, let's uh let, let's move on with that. Let's talk about some other NFL news. A lot of stuff has popped up in the past few weeks, so we have a few things. We'll uh we'll try to kind of go through them quickly. So the first one, the Eagles hire Nick Sirianni as head coach. So. Uh, I guess you know right off the bat, had you heard of Nick Sirianni before the Eagles hired him? Nope. Yeah, thirty-nine-year-old offensive coordinator of the Colts. I I don't think that us saying that 
makes us like casual football fans because I think that was a lot of the reaction around the league. The Eagles were hire, interviewing a lot of young guys and I never heard Sirianni's name pop up and then all of a sudden they hire him. And I guess so the my my big thing with this I I don't know enough about Sirianni to say that he's going to be a bad hire. He he might be a great offensive hire. I mean the Colts have a pretty decent offense. They had a an old man Philip Rivers playing quarterback for them and they they were a good offense. They went to the playoffs and uh you know maybe that's the kind of guy that the Eagles should bring in. But I think this is kind of to me it's more about who the guys who aren't getting hired, who aren't getting the chances. And it, it just it blows my mind how Nick Sirianni can get a head coaching job before Eric Bieniemy. Oh, I oh I totally agree with that. I think I think Bieniemy should have a job at this point. I think it's absurd that he still doesn't and I mean, is it more Andy Reid than Bieniemy? I mean, probably, yeah, but I mean, I still think <laughs> part of the reason why the Chiefs have been so successful, I, I like to think part of it is because of the offensive coordinator. Naturally, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, if they're he the best offense. Like he's a great he's the leader. Passionate home says that. Like, doesn't one thing equal the other? I don't know. I, I so yeah, I I agree. I think it's absurd that he doesn't. And say what you want about Josh McDaniels and the way he uh, left for the Colts job and then not going to the Colts. So maybe that's still left a bad taste in people's mouth, the the way he handled that situation. But I still feel like, I still feel like he should have a job too. What, what if that's with a team like the Eagles or chargers or wherever? I mean, I, I think he should, I think he should have a job over, uh, uh, Nick Sirianni. And I think, I think part of the reason why he's, or maybe the, the reason why he is there is, so Frank Reich is the head coach for the Colts, and I think Wentz, his the the most success he had was that year where he got injured and they won the Super Bowl without him, and that's when Frank Reich was their offensive coordinator and he was still there. Maybe they're trying the Eagles are trying to get that, uh, trying to find that uh, the next best thing instead of Frank Reich because they obviously can't hire him back, but maybe get the OC there, uh, and maybe was Sirianni have- with. Philly under Frank Reich and he went no, to but Indianapolis. Like, but he, but he, no, so there's just like hope, like as by association. Yeah, like the whole Sean McVay hope. effect. Like, oh, this guy knows Sean McVay. Let's hire him as head coach. How did that work out for the Bengals? Zach Taylor. I'm not that saying hasn't it's a, great. Yeah, I, no, not, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not saying, saying it's, it's just, a perfect analogy. I'm just saying that maybe that's the reason why. I'm not saying it's, it's a good reason to do it. I'm just saying that's no. probably the reason why. Yeah, and I think that's such like a dumb thing. And even just looking around some of the other guys, like Brandon Staley, he was an outside linebackers coach for the Bears in 2017. Before that, he was a coach at John Carroll University. It's I think that's like a D2 school. And took him four years to go from that to becoming the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. And it's it just like a lot of these arguments that, continually are made about black head coaches. I mean, in case of Biennemi is like, oh, he doesn't interview well. Oh, it's all Indy Reid and like all this stuff. I've heard him interview with with just reporters in general. He comes off as a genuinely great guy. Yeah, there are a lot of teams who have, like, there have been reports saying he's had great interviews. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me, like, why these narratives still get thrown out there. And it's like all these great black coaches are just getting totally overlooked and all these young white guys just continue to skip the line it's like all these arguments like i this isn't to say that i don't think sirianni can be a great head coach maybe he's gonna come in and he's gonna do what doug peterson did and lead the eagles to the super bowl after yeah, a couple I, I, of years i'm not but, gonna i'm not gonna pretend to know if if sirianni is gonna be a good head coach note 
head coach or not, but I will tell you, and I we talked about this last time, I will tell you Dan Campbell will not be a good head coach and yeah, i have no idea why he why the why hell does he's he get a head coach a right now. yeah and like even just looking at some other guys like byron leftwich offensive coordinator for the box like what he did last year with james winston what he's doing this year with tom brady he's not even getting any opportunities it just i don't know it, it's just like i think it's frustrating because the nfl has gone leaps and bounds to try to give more opportunities for minority hires with the, the rooney rule 18 years ago and uh yet we only see a handful of minority coaches in the NFL. And I mean, the, the Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin, is one of the best in the league, and he continues Brian, to be the uh, standard. I, I've talked a gazillion times about how great Brian Flores was. Yeah, and he's, this is he's before, been awesome. This is before he started co- head coaching games in Miami, and yeah, they, stuck, they sucked at first, but I feel like the Dolphins have really improved uh, from when he started to, to now. And yeah, they didn't make the playoffs this year, but I think they got a bright future still. And I think a lot of credit goes to him, and he's a minority head coach. And yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think, I think there are some head coaches like Bienemy, one hundred percent sure, should have an opportunity to prove that they can be good head coaches. Yeah, and Bienemy could still get the Texan job. It, it actually sounds like it might be between him and Leslie Frazier, who's the defensive coordinator for the Bills. Um, it, so that there's a, a possibility that one of those guys ends up getting that job in so, Houston. So, do you but, think it's an actual issue, or do you think it's just a coincidence that some of these guys haven't worked? So, you said Leslie Frazier, uh, Jim Caldwell. Uh, I'm trying. To- trying to think of uh who's the guy in the chart anthony lynn anthony lynn uh, yeah yeah so i mean maybe is it just a coincidence that some of these guys just haven't worked haven't panned out but guys like tomlin and flores have but most of them haven't or do you think it's an actual problem that i don't think it's any different than with other like white coaches around the league i think if you look at the stats it'd probably come out the same it's just that there's not a lot of guys getting these opportunities guys get fired in the nfl all the time that's not necessarily a reason to say that no one else should ever get hired and like I mean, it, Todd Bowles, he was not great oh, as Todd head coach Bowles, of the right. Jets. Oh, Todd Bowles, right. He was the Jets head but coach. But he's been phenomenal as the defensive coordinator for the Bucs. He was phenomenal as the defensive coordinator of the Cardinals. And, yeah, the Jets are a really dysfunctional franchise to begin with. I mean, Pat Shermer got another head coaching opportunity. And that how did that work out with the Giants? Like, And who did they replace him with? Joe Judge, just a random wide receiver special teams coach for the Patriots. It's just like, which I, which I, I hated that move. Yeah, I mean, there's just, I don't know. It, it like There's a lot of guys that are jumping the line. And like there's this whole idea that guys need to wait their turn. And it, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I understand why there's a lot of frustration around the Rooney rule and the lack of minority coaches being hired as head coaches because it's... Uh, you just see these guys just come out of nowhere over guys who have, you know, have that more of that track record that has continued to be passed over. So, um, you know, one thing I will say is there were three black GMs hired this off season. I think there were only two before this. So Washington, um, New Orleans and Detroit all did. So, uh, I mean, I guess that that's a, a good sign of uh, improvement this off season in the NFL, but uh, you know, you, you certainly w- would hope that you can kind of see more more balance moving forward because 70% of the league is African-American and only, what, four, five head coaches. So there's a, there's definitely an imbalance there. And uh, I think that's that's certainly something you'd like to see the NFL correct itself with. But, you know, yeah, I think I, that I, this offseason kind of proved that maybe that's that's wishful thinking. I'll admit, if, if, if we talked about this two years ago, I wouldn't have said this was an issue and it's just a coincidence that the minority ones haven't worked out but I'll admit this is repeating myself but when the best 
the best uh the offensive coordinator on the best offense for multiple years is has been interviewing all this time and is still not getting a head coaching job and is is just absurd and and when you hear like all these reports about how how great the interviews are and when i when i listen to videos of of him talking with other reporters of the enemy talking with reporters and coming off as a great guy i don't yeah that's the one that i will not understand out of yeah all of them. yeah so we'll see maybe he'll get the texans job you know maybe next year he'll end up getting like an amazing job that's even better than anything he could have gotten this offseason but uh th- there's certainly reasons to be frustrated about him still not having a job so uh let's next next topic so Philip Rivers announces retirement after 17 seasons, 16 with the Chargers, one with the Colts. So I think a lot of people are going to miss Philip Rivers for a lot of reasons. Not, you know, one of them, the main ones just being the, the, the vintage Philip Rivers down by a touchdown on late Sunday afternoon, trying to, to lead a comeback victory. Uh, he's certainly someone who's provided a lot of entertainment to football fans around the league over the past decade and a half. Yeah, I'll fully admit that I'm not the biggest Philip Rivers fan, but it does make me sad that that guys like him, Breeze, and so on, guys that I've been watching my entire life uh, at quarterback, all of a sudden now retire is <laughs> is is it's uh it's like and it's like the end of like near the end of like my the childhood uh guys that I've been watching for my entire life and and. And now the the QB list is definitely getting shorter. It's just fr- from from when I was younger, where it's it's just Brady, uh, Rogers, Roethlisberger, and a couple other guys left in terms of in terms of that aspect. So yeah, it's uh, and and I do agree that my favorite thing about Philip Rivers is the fact that he's usually down in a one score game, and typically he usually blows it. And so I'm gonna miss that. And I guess if I were to pick my favorite thing. One of my other favorite things about Philip Rivers is that uh, he, I think it's undeniable that he's a tough guy. Where he was playing with a torn ACL in the AFC Championship game versus the Patriots, so I'm not going to deny how tough he is. It's I, he's certainly a tough, a tough player. I guess my thing is is I don't think he's a Hall of Fame worthy quarterback compared to the other guys I mentioned, and uh, it, and just never I don't compared to like Roethlisberger and, and other guys I don't I don't think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame but I think he will get in the Hall of Fame though just because I think the NFL voting is really soft so I've um I've also kind of never loved Philip Rivers like you said I think part of it is because just the direct association with Roethlisberger from being in the same draft class they're, they're two guys that were always kind of thrown out there and uh, it felt like there were a lot of people that would always want to say that Rivers was a better quarterback uh, even though Roethlisberger always had the better accolades of course those two Super Bowls early, early in his career. Um, so I, I disagree with you. I do think that Philip Rivers should be in the Hall of Fame. I think his stats you know, make him deserving. Uh, I definitely don't think he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's a guy who should kind of wait on that ballot and get in you know, down the road. Um, but I, I do think eventually he, he should get into the Hall of Fame. But it does kind of open up the... the uh, you know the the floodgates when you talk about some of these quarterbacks who are going to have really inflated passing statistic numbers compared to what the NFL was even 20 years ago 
guys that were with numbers now, they're middle of the pack, but they would have been one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league 20 years ago. So uh, I think that Phillip Rivers is kind of guy who is who might be a little bit of a beneficiary of that because he was kind of later in the process. It's before some of those other guys like your Matt Ryan's, your Matthew Stafford's, whoever are going to come into the argument but I, I do think he is a hall of famer uh, but i i think he's he's a fringe guy i won't be upset if he doesn't get in but uh i would be a little surprised if he doesn't i'll fully admit i'm i'm strict when it comes to hall of fames especially baseball but uh yeah <laughs> when, when when fringe guys i'm i'm just not you for me and ter- this is just my opinion best of the best get it yeah no That's i get it. that he's it's it, not the hall of very good it's, yeah it's, it's the hall of it's fame, the hall of fame. Uh, I'll admit it, I'm probably too strict because if 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 I were voting for every single if it was if the decision came to me in terms of a Hall of Fame it'd be one hallway <laughs> it wouldn't be a, a whole yeah. it wouldn't be multiple halls it'd just be literally yeah. one hallway of the best dudes that's yeah. it yeah <laughs> no that's I think that that's fair I think a lot of people feel that way um, I mean the the one thing that's really going to hold back Rivers is his lack of playoff success you know beyond just never winning a Super Bowl I think he only had four career playoff victories and yeah and one two in career and seven one career yeah. AFC championship appearance yeah yep. so yeah zero rings a million uh times choking in the last minute of a game losing by a possession <laughs> and and nine kids that's so that's that's the story of Philip yeah, Rivers. 100, 134 and 106 record. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing with, with Rivers where I think that he's going to be kind of an interesting case study in terms of the Hall of Fame. Because so statistically, if you look at his numbers, they're all they're better than Ben Roethlisberger's. When you look at kind of longevity stats, he played in more games than Ben has. Um, and because of that, he has greater total yardage, total touchdowns and stuff. When you just compare them straight up, though, Passer ratings about the same per game totals are nearly identical. It's actually crazy. Like 21.6 for 33.3 in terms of completions per attempt for rivers. Rossberger 21.7 for 33.6 passing yards is 260 to 259 touchdowns, interceptions, both 1.7 to 0.9. It's, it's pretty incredible how their numbers are the same uh, like that. So I guess given that, so he's always going to be associated with Ben Rossberger and Eli Manning from that draft class. How do you rank those three guys? Ben, Eli, Rivers. Yeah, I, I think that that is the best way to go about it when you throw in the Super Bowl aspect. If you take away Super Bowls and you just look at the, the quarterbacks at an individual level, does that change your rating at all? Um, I don't think it would change my ranking, but I, I would say Eli, uh, Eli and Rivers would be a, a tougher debate because I feel like Eli... I think Eli is going to get in, but I also feel like the biggest reason and and maybe a hundred percent of the reason is because he beat Brady twice in the Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. I, cause I really think he was a, in the regular season. He was very mediocre at times to be brutally honest. So I, I think, I think Ben's definitely in my opinion and probably your opinion as well. I think he's, yeah, he's not Brady or Rogers or Peyton Manning, but I think he's still a, a Hall of Famer and potentially first ballot. I don't know how that all that stuff works out. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the debate with Ben whether or not he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I don't think it's the, the other debate two that guys. He, it's whether I don't think or it's, not they're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I agree. I th- I don't think it's a debate that he's a, if he's a Hall of Famer or not. I think it's a debate if he's a first ballot guy or not. But yeah, yeah. So Eli, I think the ranking for me is still the same even without the all those other all those accolades you talk about talked about. But 
I, I would say Eli and Rivers might be a bigger debate if it weren't for his two rings versus, versus Brady. Yeah, I mean, I would say Ben Rivers, Eli, if you take away like the playoff success and you yeah. just kind of look at the three quarterbacks. But I mean, it's it's tough to do that because, uh, you know, the playoff success and the Super Bowls are a big part of it. So there is the alternate reality where the Chargers draft Eli Manning and he doesn't want to trade. He's willing to play in San Diego. And uh, at least based on what the mock drafts had. Ben Roethlisberger would have likely gone to the Giants at number four. Philip Rivers to the Steelers at number eleven. So, do you think that if um, if Rivers had instead gone to either New York or Pittsburgh in Eli Manning or Ben Roethlisberger's shoes, he would have won two Super Bowls? So, yeah, I will fully admit that part of the thing that hurts Rivers' case is that he was in San Diego slash L.A. for all of those years, and I don't think the Chargers are exactly a the greatest organization. So yeah, if he were in Pittsburgh, I'm not going to pretend to know if he would have zero, one or two. If I had to guess, I, I think he'd have more playoff success than just a few wins. I think he would have more AFC championship appearances and yeah, he probably would have uh, at least a Super Bowl appearance or, 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 or two. I don't know. But, but if I had to guess, I would say, I would still say Ben would have more success as a Steelers quarterback than Phillip Rivers. But I think Philip Rivers definitely would have more playoff chances uh, of potentially winning winning more, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, I I I agree with that. Um, I like to think that Ben, his two Super Bowls in Pittsburgh, could not have been won by either Philip Rivers or Eli Manning. There, uh, I don't think that Philip Rivers could have won that Cardinals game, you know, especially in the, the manner that Ben Rosberger did marching down the field with that, you know, ultimately unbelievable touchdown pass to Santonio Holmes. Guess, it's kind of hard for me to picture that. But I, at the I same time, the, I think that Rivers would have had enough success down the road that maybe he could have found himself I, in I the mean, Super Bowl. That first Super Bowl, I think Ben did a great job in terms of the path of getting there, but I yes, don't think he played well. No, he first... didn't play well in the actual yeah. Super Bowl. So, yeah, so. I guess if you just took the singular game, yeah, I think Phil Rivers would, would win that game because just given how much Ben sucked in that game and they still won. Yep. But but the second Super Bowl, that's definitely – he definitely played way better in that game. And he had, that, like you said, that perfect throw to, to St. Antonio Holmes in the end zone. And I don't know if Phil Rivers makes that pass given how he, he throws a football like he's shot-putting. yeah a lot of people want to like tear down uh like the the chargers and say oh he had never had any help he had ladanian thalmanson for a long time he had antonio gates who uh you know before like you know gronk and travis kelsey entered the picture was up in the discussion of like best tight ends of all time like he had vincent jackson in his prime like he always had a lot of great talent around him the chargers had a lot of issues beyond just what they had on the offensive side of the ball, but I, I think that it's kind of minimizing how that, good some of those teams were by saying that Rivers one, had no help. That one year really stands out where LT was the MVP. 2006, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they blew it versus the Patriots. They were a loaded yep. team yeah, that year. Yeah, they could have very easily gone to the Super Bowl that year. So, um, All right, uh, next topic. So, uh, you know, sticking with quarterbacks who are – on the way out, uh, not necessarily out of the league, but out of their team, and that is uh, Matthew Stafford. There, there were thoughts that Stafford's time in Detroit could be over sooner rather than later, but that 
feels official as he has demanded a trade. Uh, him and the Lions have agreed to part ways as the Lions go on a rebuild, and the 32-year-old Matthew Stafford looks to go to a team where he can actually uh, contend for a Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't, so, I don't, I don't blame Stafford at all. No, <laughs> I, been, I think it's I mean, hard to. Yeah, I, I, he's been through enough, and I think the last draw was Dan Campbell's bro coach speech that he had. Uh, yeah, when he, when I heard he was of introduced. If uh, if Daryl uh, Daryl Bevel was um, if he was retained as the head coach, it sounds like Matt Safford would have been interested in sticking around. But at that point, uh, he was no longer wanted to be with the Lions. He was ready to move on, fresh start. So. Um, I guess, you know, in terms of Stafford wanting to be traded, what what do you believe is like a reasonable compensation uh, that a team would need to give up for his services? A first round pick? Like Just and, and one, not and yeah. not like the Jets one or anything like that. Like not like number 2 overall I think, but a a late first round a mid to late first round pick. I would say that. So in uh back in 2011, 32-year-old Carson Palmer was traded to the Raiders for a first and a second round pick. I think Safford's going to take at least that, and I would not be surprised if Safford fetches two firsts. Uh, I think in the case of the Jets, if the Jets really decide they want to trade for Safford, which I think that there are other guys that they should target before going after Safford, whether it's you know Deshaun Watson or a rookie, uh, I could certainly see a scenario where New York trades down from two to seven to pick up Safford. Um, but yeah, to me, I, I think that Safford is going to, to demand a haul. I so think you think, it's so you think it's more than just, pick. you think, it's I just think more so. I think at the very least it's a first and maybe two seconds, but um, I would not be surprised if he gets two first round picks. So all that being said, where do you think is the best fit for Stafford? I would say the Colts just because they were a very good team this year that made the playoffs, of course, and were, very close from upsetting Buffalo this year, and that was with Philip Rivers in his last season. And I, I, I think Matthew Stafford coming in and his replace as a replacement would 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 definitely help the Colts' chances of even advancing further into the postseason. And they have a very solid defense. They got a, a good running game with Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, uh, leading their running back depth chart, and they got. Their receivers aren't great. I mean, yeah, T.Y. Hilton, he's still there, and he's also uh, pa- a free agent. So. Yeah, and pass call is is, is okay, I guess. Uh, yeah, so their receivers, they can, and Pittman's Pittman had a good season. Uh, so their receivers are fine, but I think Stafford coming in and for Rivers maybe could help them a little bit more. And uh, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a no brainer for the Colts uh, for getting Stafford. Depending yeah, on the I mean, price, it, of course. I, I would also say the Colts. Uh, they have sixty-five to seventy million dollars in cap space. I think that adding Stafford makes them a legitimate Super Bowl contender. They probably want to bring in a wide receiver, maybe Kenny Galladay. Uh, his uh, one of his top wideouts for the past few seasons in Detroit. Uh, but the Colts certainly make a ton of sense. And I guess if I had to throw it another team, I would say the 49ers. I know we talked about them with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Matt Stafford would certainly be an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he would take that offense to the next level and we would see San Francisco not just back in the postseason, but they would also be back in that contention when it comes to being a Super Bowl team. This is so uh I yeah, I can see San Fran uh making that move, especially since 
I believe that Jimmy Garoppolo won't be there. And uh, I know this is kind of unrelated, but I, I think Garoppolo is going to be back in New England. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think that there's a good chance of that I, I happening think, as well. I think given that he knows the system and that, and Belichick and him won't have any issues, I think I think it's more more than likely that Garoppolo will be back in New England. Uh, all right, so uh, let's uh, do our final NFL news story, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers signing Dwayne Haskins to a reserve future contract. So the former first-round pick drafted 15th overall by Washington in 2019 was cut before this past season ended. It was one of the fastest a first-round quarterback had ever been let go, partially because of his on-the-field play, but a lot of it because of character issues and some off-the-field stuff. So, I guess coming, well, let's just kind of start with your your thoughts on this as you know a a non-Steelers fan, someone who doesn't necessarily have as, as much of a a stake in this signing. What are your thoughts uh, when you heard that the Steelers signed Haskins? Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with it. I mean, obviously Haskins is, hasn't been great as a first rounder and yeah part of that's because of his play and part of that is certainly because of character issues but I think from a Steelers standpoint I think at some point they have to find that next guy and if, if they have to have a bridge guy in replace of Ben I, I think that's fine as well I just I just think for, from their standpoint I think Ben only has one year left at max not even not even maybe even zero like it, this might be it that last game versus the Browns, like that might have been it. But if he comes back, the, his last this is his last year. I, I can't imagine him playing into his forties, given his oh, he had, he wasn't bad last year. Like he was actually good for most of the, for a good chunk of the year. But I just think it's catching up to him now. And given uh, how his his injury history and uh, I, I I and and then his contract situation as well. I it's either one year or that's it. So they have to find that next guy, whether that's Rudolph or Haskins or whomever it is. Yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine Ben playing past 2021 and it's not that difficult to imagine him not even playing in 2021 at all. Uh, I like the sign of Haskins. I, when, when he was cut by Washington, my initial thoughts were he deserves a second chance. He deserves an opportunity to be brought in. Someone should go after this guy. I know yeah, he I, has I, a I, lot I of issues, I mean, but he has the talent. He's like, not he's not let's be honest, he's he hasn't been very good in the NFL so far. And 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 part and definitely he, he has <laughs> off the field issues with what he did before he got released. But he's he's young. He can he can certainly turn it around. It wouldn't surprise me. He has he has the size and he has the arm strength and and I think when he's if he's surrounded by uh, a a good team environment then I think I think he could thrive a little bit better than he did in Washington. Yeah, and I um I I, I absolutely think that he's someone who uh, still possibly has has an opportunity he's someone who never really felt like he was wanted in Washington so like being in the right situation could be huge for him Uh, all that being said I initially wasn't a huge fan of the idea of him coming into Pittsburgh uh, but you know just given how things ended with Ben Roethlisberger in 2020 uh, I think it it kind of opened my eyes. Like, all right, yeah, that the end no, is they, really here. Yeah, I I agree with so, that as well. That they have I, to find, they have to find someone for uh to replace Ben. 
I'll be honest. I don't think Mason Rudolph is the answer. I I know he did pretty well in Week 17 versus Cleveland, but I still, I still don't think he's a a future starting quarterback. And I think Haskins has the potential to be maybe not one of the best quarterbacks in the league or anything, but I think he has the potential to be a starting quarterback still. Yeah, I mean, I I also don't think that Rudolph is a guy. But you know, if if Ben does walk away. I feel like the Steelers can be in a position where they can feel at least decent going into the season with Rudolph and Haskins battling it out. These are two guys who one of them was a first-round pick. Another one, the Steelers had a first-round grade on him when they took him in the third round. Uh, you know, I, that could be good for them. At the very least, it'd be good for them battling out for the backup job for this season and the possibility to maybe be the starter in 2022. So uh, to me, this is a move. It's there's no risk to it. The Steelers, I mean, if he doesn't work out, like he's essentially the third quarterback right now. And uh, even if like he's only on a one year deal, but the Steelers can give him an original round tender, which is a first round tender at the end of the season, which basically means if a team wants to sign him away, they have to give the Steelers a first round pick to do so. So this seems like a. That seems like a good move, and and I agree that he deserves a second chance. I, especially in the NFL, with how many players make mistakes, especially yeah. off the field. I think, I think, I think he players deserve second chances. Maybe not seventeenth, seventeen chances. Yeah, like I mean, Josh Gordon line or anything, yeah. but but I. I I think he deserves a second chance, especially. Yeah, I mean, age. it's it's a high upside move. I'll be rooting for him. I'm excited to see how this works out. And if things really go horrible, then maybe that'll only help the Steelers get a great draft pick and uh, you know the possibility to actually draft Ben's successor. So, all right. With that, uh, let's move on to our top five. And, you know, we, we've been talking a lot of NFL this episode. This one, we're, we're going to stray away from football, but it is very much themed based on football. You have Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes facing off in Super Bowl 55. Brady's 43. Mahomes is 25. So you're talking, you know, the, the present and the past of the NFL versus the present and the future. Big age gap. And that kind of inspired us to count down our favorite TV and film young and old duos in this week's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So, uh, Brian, I'll get us started here with my number five. And that is Jeff Winger and Annie Edison from Community. So, Brian, have you seen Community at all? No, I have not. See, I think you would really like it. We have a we have a lot of mutual friends who are big fans of the show. Um, I I I really would recommend that to you. It 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 just got added to Netflix. I think in April 2020. So a lot of people first checked it out, like me, for the first time during the pandemic and, 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 and in those I, early days. And like many people, I have Netflix, so I'm sure I can. Yeah, I can watch it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely recommend it. It is uh, a great sitcom from uh, you know the early 2010s, and it's a uh, it's about community college. And Jeff Winger is the main character. He's I think 35 when the show starts, and he uh, he goes to community college to try to get a legitimate degree and uh, avoid being disbarred. Uh, and uh, he forms a study group that includes. Annie, who is, I think, 18, just fresh out of high school when, when the show starts. And their, uh, their relationship is definitely one of the, the main story arcs of the show. About half of the episodes are somehow centered around these two. 
Uh, there's a lot of like, will they, won't they, definitely some kind of romantic interest. And uh, it's something that there's a lot of lot of themes of the show. I don't want to get too much into it, you know, as I'm I'm recommending the show to you. But uh, these two are definitely two characters that you you kind of are back and forth whether or not you're rooting for them. And uh, I think that they are just like such a, a great great pair in the show. And really, Community has a lot of duos that I could have gone with. Part of it is because of the seven person main character study group. Four of them are younger. Three of them are older. I could have gone with Jeff and Pierce. I could have gone with Troy and Pierce, Annie and Shirley, Britta and Jeff. But to me, I, I, I think that Jeff and Annie is, is my favorite of the young and old duos in this show. But of course, my favorite duos, Abed and Troy. So uh, they, they wouldn't necessarily fit in this one, given that they're about the same age. But uh, community great show i really felt like i needed to put someone in at number five and to me jeff and annie felt like the uh the best choice for that all right so for so for my number five choice i went with walter white and jesse pickman who are played by brian cranston and aaron paul in breaking bad and uh, i watched it from start to finish like millions of other people and i enjoyed the show and I think my favorite part about, or one of my favorite parts about the show is the character development between uh, Brian Cranston's character and Walter White <clears throat> and Aaron Paul's character and, and J.C. Pinkman and how uh, Walter White is a, is a high school chemistry teacher who is diagnosed with cancer and feels that he needs to provide for his family if he were to pass away and and he gets he goes into the the meth business and 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 also has the gets the help from Jesse Pinkman as well and and even though Brian Cranston's character might have been the the brains behind the entire operation I uh Jesse was actually my favorite character in the show and and he was really the voice of reason uh in the show and and even though he was perceived as this punk uh I think Throughout the show, they showed a really softer side of Jesse, and uh, I, and I think, as the as this as the show went on from season one to season five, uh, he he definitely became uh, my favorite character in the entire show, and so uh, I I went with those two as my number five, and I'm I I feel and I'm sure any Breaking Bad fan would probably disagree with that choice, and it should have been my number one choice, but but especially I I, I know Ben is talked uh very highly of the show and uh i hope hopefully someone like him likes that choice and others as well yeah i i mean i guess talking about shows that we've never seen i've I've still never seen breaking bad and Mm -hmm. i I know that it's widely regarded as one of the best shows ever so yeah i'm um, i will fully admit i'm more of a movie person and mm -hmm. i've watched i've watched thousands of movies but i'll admit uh so because of that i'll admit i don't watch too many tv shows but i got there were plenty of recommend recommendations to watch, to watch uh, Breaking Bad, and so I eventually did, and I would re- that's I would recommend that as well. Uh, I, when you first watch it, you'll be wondering why what the heck am I watching? Yeah, but I've heard it's it's very slow. The, ver- like the first the very season first, isn't as great. The very first few episodes or so, you're wondering what am I watching right now, and and uh. you'll be having second thoughts. But as by the time you get to like maybe season three, that's when you're like really really into it and then season four and season five as well okay 
Yeah. Yeah, it's I know there there are a few shows out there that are you gotta power through at the beginning and Breaking Bad as I've always heard is is one of them. So uh for my number four, I went with Coach Eric Taylor and Vince Howard from Friday Night Lights. And really there are a lot of players that I probably could have paired up with Coach Taylor here. I mean Matt Saracen, Jason Street, Smash Williams, even Tim Riggins. But uh, I, I chose Vince Howard really for a couple of reasons. His character has always resonated with me. I was always a huge fan of him. Uh, it was really toward the end of the show. It wasn't until season four when Vince Howard came in. So I, I was a little older. I was actually in high school at that point. I don't know if it was just like a good time for me to like really be into that show because Friday Night Lights has always been one of my favorites ever. Um, but I think one of the big things with Vince Howard is that he came along when coach Taylor was also going through his own kind of struggle. So, you know, coach Taylor finds Vince Howard on the streets. He brings him into the program at East Dillon high because Taylor is no longer the head coach of the original Dillon high school, which is now West Dillon. And, uh, Vince comes in, becomes a star quarterback, but it's a really bad team. And like, he's, he's the leader of this team, uh, you know, both of these two together. And I I think that, you know, coach finding him, just making him, you know, giving him this opportunity to come in and just uh, make, make something of himself and be uh, this great player. I think it's just like a really cool, cool, like relationship with a, with a coach and a, a, a quarterback that really blossoms throughout the final two seasons of the series. And ultimately to the point where, where Howard is leading East Dillon high to success on the field. And uh, I think it's also kind of cool in the sense that coach Taylor discovered Vince Howard. And that ultimately led to Michael B. Jordan, the character who plays Vince Howard being discovered. And of course he became famous for a lot of big roles, Creed and uh, his, his role in the black Panther. So uh, big fan of Vince Howard, big fan of Michael B. Jordan because of his his early connections and uh, his early roots in Friday Night Lights. So that's why uh, him and Eric Taylor are my number four. Uh, so before I get to my number four choice, when we were filling out our top fives for for uh, this category, uh, I originally read it as top five just duos in general like film duos in general like not young and old but then when i once i realized it was young and old i couldn't put woody and buzz <laughs> yeah. because they're they're toys and they're one's not exactly older than the other uh but looking through other pixar movies toy story is definitely my favorite uh but my next favorite pixar movie is up and for my number four choice i went with carl Fredrickson and Russell, the kid in the movie. And uh, so throughout the movie, the beginning of the movie Up, it shows the life between Carl Fredrickson and his wife Ellie and how they grew up. And they uh, they had dreams of going to Paradise Falls and, uh, and they had struggles uh, in terms of finances and of trying to get there. And uh, by, by the time, it got to a point where it was too late where his wife ended up passing away and, uh, and, but Carl still had dreams of going to paradise falls and he ends up meeting, uh, the, this kid, Russell, who, who's a boy scout and, and he ends up uh, going on this journey with them to paradise falls. And I love the chemistry between the two of them, especially since, 
uh, when they showed in the in the beginning of the movie, they showed Carl and Ellie struggling to have uh, struggling to have kids. Uh, it really gave that idea that Russell was kind of that son that Carl never had, and uh, I think I, I think he was. I think the chemistry between the two of them was great throughout the entire movie, and so I put that as my number four choice. And my fa- and it's definitely my favorite Pixar movie after Toy Story, maybe Wally, but. Uh, it's it's a toss up between two. Yeah, it, it may not be Toy Story at Woody and Buzz, but yeah, Up is a great movie, and uh, that that's certainly like I I don't even know what other young and old pairing you would go to other than Carl and Russell from the Pixar franchise. Yeah. All right, so my number three is Will Hunting and Sean McGuire from the movie Good Will Hunting. Uh, this one of one of the the best movies that I've I've ever seen. So uh, Will Hunting, he's 20 years old. He's a janitor at MIT. He's a genius, and he's someone who is discovered by uh, Professor Gerald Lambeau at MIT. And, uh, you know, Will is someone who, like, he has all this talent, but he'd much rather just, like, hang out and drink with his buddies. He doesn't have as much, uh, you know, inspiration to actually go out and make something of himself. So Lambeau brings in his former college roommate in Sean McGuire, who's now a psychology professor at uh, Bunker Hill Community College in Boston to kind of be his therapist and try to get something out of him, get convince him to go and like take these job opportunities that are, are available to him to try to try to make something of himself. And the, uh, the relationship between Will and Sean definitely starts out a little rocky. Uh, Will isn't really willing to open up, but eventually these two form a really great bond. And I, I do love how one of the big things that really connects them is the fact that, uh, you know, Sean McGuire, so played by the, the late Robin Williams had, tickets to game six of the 1975 world series this is my favorite scene in the carlton fisk game yeah and he uh he passed them up to uh spend time with a girl uh i believe at a bar in boston and uh will so matt matt damon's character just thinks that's such a a crazy thing which like any any red sox fan watching that would also be like wow like you could have been at that game like at the time that was the greatest game in fenway park history so uh i think that you know that that was that was uh, kind of cool seeing that just being in Boston. It definitely makes that movie just like a little little cooler to to you and me. I'm sure. Um, yeah. If if you weren't going to talk about that scene, I was about to talk about. Yeah, that scene. <laughs> yeah. I, I no, love I that figured. scene where he talks about his, where he met his wife, and and he says uh, October October twenty first, nineteen seventy five. It's like Jesus Christ, you remember the day? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, yeah, he's like yeah, yeah Carlton Fisk home run, and then yeah, it's like oh. Uh, like you were, you, did you rush the field? Like, no, nah, no, nah, I was having a drink with my future wife. Yeah, you, you uh, missed Pudge <laughs> home run <laughs> to have a drink with a girl you never met. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a crazy, crazy, crazy story. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess from there, you know, it, it, they certainly go through their ups and downs with Will feeling like he's kind of pushing people out of his life, and he's he's passing up on on opportunities because that's that's all he's ever known is is just failures and. Um, but you know th- these two definitely form like a, a great great relationship and in the end you know Sean does everything he needs to to get Will to actually be willing to to move on with his life and ultimately uh pull take a page out of Sean's playbook and drive across the country to California to go see about a girl so uh to me is I when I came up with this topic I knew that I had to get Will and Sean somewhere on my list and they come in at number 3 that's a great choice 
Uh, so for my number three, I went with uh, Marty McFly and Doc Brown in the Back to the Future trilogy. Uh, and, and I've seen all three movies and I enjoyed all three of them, but my fir- my favorite one is definitely the, the very first one uh, when uh, Marty is traveling back in the past and not Back to the Future. It's funky how it's it's called Back to the Future even though he's going back to the past. And uh, I, I love the the chemistry between the two of them and, and how Doc was uh, able to help Marty get back to where he needed to be and uh, and I, I, I love this, the, the entire storyline of that, the first movie as well, where he needs to get his dad to, uh, go out with his mom to the prom and have him fall in love or he, he will disappear forever. But luckily, uh, he was able to get them to fall in love and, uh, go back to where he needed to be. And, uh, and I love, and I, I love Doc Doc's character as well, played by Christopher Lloyd, and then yeah, Mari McFly is played by Michael J. Fox, and uh, it's de- definitely a great trilogy. I'd recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it, but the first one is easily the best movie. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Back to the Future. I'll be I'll be talking about them soon. Um, for now, though, my number two is Rick and Morty, and. Uh, these Rick and Morty is such an interesting show to me. I find it so funny, but also so outlandish. And there are times where it's just way too much for me. And I just, it's just not my show, but more often than not, I love it. And of course the, the titular characters is such a big part of it. You have Rick who is Morty's genius, mad scientist, grandfather who, uh, would he, he doesn't believe that school is great for Morty and he would much rather him travel around the universe and the multiverse going on all these dangerous missions to to you know do all these various things and uh you know it's it's hard to even try to describe them here and have them make any sense <laughs> some of the stuff that they get into but I think Rick and Morty is like such like a, a great like adult cartoon and uh, the, those two are certainly a huge part of it. And uh, they, they absolutely were going to make this list. Number two kind of feels high for me, but at the same time, it doesn't. I think that there's such an iconic cartoon character uh, duo. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people that would even consider them as their number one if they made this top five. Uh, so for my number two, I went with Michael Orr and Leanne Tui. And if you're wondering who, who that is, Michael Orr. Uh, as a player, I don't know if he's a former NFL. Player. I'm not sure. If yeah, he's, still... he's not in the league anymore. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he's not in the league anymore. But uh, he was a longtime left tackle for the Baltimore Ravens and uh, Carolina Panthers, and uh, and yeah, they star in the movie The Blind Side, and I love that. I love another movie where I love. It's one of my favorite football movies. Might be one of my favorite movies in general. And I, uh, I, I love obviously the chemistry between the two of them, but. Uh, I love that Leanne Tui, uh, her character played by Sandra Bullock, uh, brought in Michael or uh, into their home and had had him become part of their family and and gave them all the opportunities uh, they could provide and even helped helped him in uh, his journey as a player, a, a football player from high school to college into the NFL and. Uh, it's a very touching movie, and I that's another movie I'd recommend to anyone, and especially if you're a football fan. Uh, so I went with that, that as my number two. Yeah, I really enjoyed Blindside. It's a it's a good 
good uh, reference. It, it, I'm, I think it might be my favorite film. It's either that or really remember the Titans is a really good movie. Movie uh, longest. I think arc. mine is Rudy. Rudy's a good one. Yeah, I knew. I knew I was forgetting. I, I know I'm forgetting some that aren't at the top of my head, but yeah, Rudy's another yeah. good one. But if I had, longest yard, specifically the Adam Sandler version for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Adam Sandler <laughs> version. Yeah, if I had to pick though, I think I would pick The Blind Side. Yeah. All right, so my number one kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago, but it is Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Like you, I'm a huge fan of the Back to the Future franchise, and you know, of course, these two are the the main characters. I love Marty McFly. Uh, I think that he's he's such a fun character, and like I, you said that the the first one's your favorite movie, and like I think I agree with that, but I also really love the second movie, and I I think that it's it's very close to me. Um, it's not like Shrek and Shrek Two, where like the sequel, like I definitely think is better. But uh, I, I I absolutely would put um, the second one right up there with the first one, which of course second one is where they go thirty years in the future as opposed to thirty years in the past. Uh, these two are just a, a crazy duo. They're kind of like Rick and Morty, except far far less outlandish in the sense that you have the old crazy mad scientist who uh, he comes up with the ability to tra- time travel using his Mandalorian. So. Uh, certainly a fun concept, fun premise, and these two are you know the the central characters to this uh, whole thing. So to me, uh, you know, it, it felt like the uh, the right choice here with my number one, Doc Brown and Marty McFly. The one thing I like about the second one is that that sports almanac. That oh yeah, that I, guys, I think oh, that's part of the, the reason why I really the, like it. That'd be the best thing to have. <laughs> just yep. just yep. just making all this money on every single bet that you made yeah i mean biff was winning whole, on uh, horse races uh, you have a whole almanac of sporting re- re- results and sporting events from from 1950 to 2000 wow that's just awesome yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah. that would be useless right now but i mean to have that at the time that would be the best thing ever yeah uh, absolutely uh so for my number one i went with andrew neiman and terrence fletcher who are played by miles teller and jk simmons uh, in the movie Whiplash, which I have talked about plenty of times, and I've had in my top five uh, playing times uh, for whatever subjects we talked about in the top five. I guess the best way to describe their relationship uh, is something like Brady and Belichick, which I know sounds kind of absurd, but uh, both of them, they're, they're not exactly friends, and Terrence Fletcher is certainly harsh towards Andrew Neiman throughout the movie, uh, but they both want the best. Uh, they both want to reach greatness in term in in their fields, and I feel like that's kind of what Brady and Belichick are like. Where, yeah, they're not exactly the the best of friends or anything, but they're they're both they both have that amazing work ethic that's uh, second to no second to none, uh, and they their work ethic and their success has translated into the greatness that they have today and and that's how i feel about andrew neiman and terrence fletcher's characters where uh andrew neiman he wants to be one of the great uh, one of the greats in terms of uh drumming and terrence fletcher uh his character wants to find that student that can reach that potential and they have a there's a part in the movie late in, later in the movie where they're having a drink at a bar and uh uh terrence fletcher's character uh talks about how he was was at the, the academy, the school that they were at, or the conservatory, or whatever. Uh, he was there to push people beyond what what 
what was expected of them, and he wanted to find that Charlie Parker. Uh, he wanted to find that next great musician, and that's kind of why he pushed Andrew uh, as hard as he did to uh, become the drummer that he eventually became uh, later in the movie. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, I I'd probably <laughs> I definitely overrated a lot, but I I it's one of my favorite movies, and uh, that's why I have it as my number one. So I've I've never seen the movie, but I have seen that one scene. Is it what it, like not my tempo when yeah he's uh yeah oh, man. is that what he yeah uh, he's he's he, he's like he's pretty ruthless in that yeah he's really ruthless. It's like Bobby Knight if he were <laughs> if he weren't <laughs> a, a college basketball coach and he were yeah he was a <laughs> composer yeah composer or, or a conductor or yeah. whatever yeah conductor yeah huh yeah okay. Um, anyway, that'll, uh, that'll do it for the top five and that'll do it for this week's episode. No new episode next week. Like with the NFL, uh, we'll be taking the week off, but we'll, uh, we'll be back after the Super Bowl to react to everything that goes down in Tampa between the Bucks and the Chiefs. So for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks everyone. <laughs>